your organization a talent magnet? Is your culture the envy of the business market? Top organizations need top leaders. Make sure that you are that leader. This show will ensure that you are. Welcome to I Lead, The Leadership Connection with Dr. Linda Sharkey. Leaders today are more than just results. They are about creating legacies of great people, driving winning organizations, and raising the bar for themselves and that of their teams. Now, here is your host, Dr. Linda Sharkey. Welcome, I'm Linda Sharkey, your host of I Lead the Leadership Connection, and I'm delighted to have you, all my great listeners, here again today. We have a wonderful show uh, today. I'm very excited. I, again, through my good friend Marshall Goldsmith, I had the great opportunity to meet Eric uh, Schoenenberg on a uh, dinner that Marshall often hosts with people that he thinks are great thinkers, and uh, this clearly was one, and it impressed me a great deal. I was uh, thrilled to be there and thrilled to meet Eric. Um, I just appreciated his great honesty. He is, for those of you that don't know, he is the editor-in-chief of Inc., a really fantastic magazine, um, all about business trends, all about what's going on in the, in, in the world of business and, and technology, etc. cetera. Uh, he's also uh, CBS uh, Money Watch. He's the president and editor of uh, bnet.com and the managing editor of Money. What I think is really great, too, he's won two, among many other very prestigious uh, writing awards, the Loeb Award and the National Magazine Award. So thank you, Eric. I, I hope I gave you uh, full justice for all the great things that you've contributed to the world of work, but I just so appreciate you joining the show today. Yeah, innovation has been such a part of, of our mindset for uh, a couple of years now, so you may think that it always was that way, but it wasn't always. And if you think back to the role of a CEO in the 20th century corporation, a lot of that job was to maintain the growth trajectory and the culture of the company that had been passed on by uh, previous leaders. Um, think about the corporate boardroom surrounded by portraits of the leaders of the past and a giant framed portrait of our founder. Well, it's not that way anymore, and change is now so much a part of the expectation um, that the readiness for change and the expectation that a good leader is flexible and not a steward, but is um, a disruptor even within his own or her own company, that's a, that's a tremendous change. So yeah. if technology is the driver of a lot of the, the dramatic growth, the hockey stick growth in change and innovation, the readiness is a major contributing factor to it as well. So it's, you make an interesting comment because I hear much more emphasis around organizational culture now than I ever did before. I had some people on from LinkedIn, now bought by Microsoft. I had some people on from uh, major corporations who were talking about more the culture of the organization. So how do you make that distinction? How, what, what role do you think that that plays? Uh, well, the, the difference, I think, was the, what the culture meant in the 20th century and what it means in the 21st century. In the 20th you century, th- you think it meant a kind of respectability. 
Um, and the culture meant that we here at, you know, and you name the company, Goldman right. Sachs, Deloitte, uh, Hewitt Associates, IBM, we kind of dress the same. We carry the company briefcase. We know the company history, that kind of thing. And we're right. part of this, this uh, you know, juggernaut that is, that is, a, that is a, a, a giant force to be reckoned with. And now the culture means that um, everyone is adaptable to change. Every, it, we are an organization that iterates, that um, measures, adapts, observes, and then goes on to the next thing. That there's a, there was a difference in kind of organization before meant hierarchy. You understood the hierarchy. You n- understood the chain of command. You desired to rise up in that hierarchy and become, you know, elevated uh, within the culture. Now it means that um, what you have to understand is the constancy of change uh, and the struggle that leaders have is to create a culture that does not uh, get entrenched in the way things have been and is constantly willing to reinvent itself. Um, in terms of the kinds of culture that are harder to maintain, I think the 21st century culture, the one, the one that embraces change, is by far harder because it's not really human nature. Yeah, and and I think there's been a lot, I not think, I know there's been a lot of research that says if you really want to innovate, you have to have a certain specific kind of culture organizationally in order to do that. And the command and control culture or the highly aggressive culture is counter to that kind of um, innovation and, and, and growth. So what do you see... Um, from a from that perspective, what what do you see as the the prevailing leadership style that we have to be looking at? No, well, I think you put your finger on it. As you move away from command and control and move to one that is more flexible, more empathetic, uh, more creative, more uh, willing to accept criticism, um, more feminine than masculine and powerful. So. You think of um, someone with an artistic or design um, frame of mind rather than someone with a, you know, organizational uh, kind of military, high, highly hierarchical frame of mind. Um, people with that approach to life and approach to organization still have a role as kind of the, um, um, the chief operating officer, the doers, um, the operators within a company, but um, they don't, by virtue of that state of mind or approach to life, tend not to rise up to the top. It would, it's, a, it's a difficult thing to adapt to a, to a world in which technology and um, um, the expectations of customers are just constantly in flux. Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, I had um, Harry Kramer, whom you also know, on last week, and we were talking about this very same topic. And uh, one of the things that uh, I, I asked him, I said, how many leaders do you think really embrace that um, more feminine, that more uh, inclusive uh, kind of leadership style? What, what do you think the percentage is? And he said about uh, 20%. What's your take on that? Um, I would have said a higher percentage. Uh, when um, do you know that the Gallup study that 
um, was done about uh, the feminization of leadership a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it was global, and it split the universe of uh, of the sample, which which was quite large, like sixty four thousand people, into two groups, and it asked one group to rank um, a number of attributes as either male or female, and so mm-hmm. you know things like aggression and decisiveness and courage and things like that got ranked as masculine while understanding and listening and uh, flexibility and empathy got ranked as feminine. Not not particularly striking in that regard, except perhaps for the unity across cultures in which um, attributes seem to fall into one gender or the other. But the other half of the group were given the same collection of attributes and asked to state which of these attributes they most wanted to see in a leader. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not, not exclusively, but by a wide margin, the attributes that the other group had determined were feminine were the ones that were desired in a good leader. Yeah, I, I don't I don't dispute that at all, and I'm familiar familiar with that study. I, but I, my own experience in organizations indicates to me, though, that that style of leadership is not the prevailing style that's practiced. It may be what people value. It may be mm-hmm. what people want. Um, but I don't see that as the prevailing leadership style, particularly in the twenty twentieth century. I, I see leaders struggling to move more in that direction. But I, I still think companies are struggling with this whole notion of what's my role here? Is it really about shareholder value? Or is it, you know, being this nurturing leader, being this person who, you know, engages others and helps others achieve, um, you know, it, it be the best that they can be? We're at break. We're going to continue this conversation when we get back. Um, we're talking to Eric Schoenberg, editor-in-chief of Inc. Magazine. And um, having a great conversation. We're going to be talking about the impact of technology in the recent article uh, in the um, online edition of Inc. this week, right, Eric? I think Uh, it was this week. Month. This month, yes. Stay with us. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. You have a message. You want to share that message. You want it to be social, to go viral, and spread across the planet. But how do you get started? Tune into Amplify, featuring host Ken Roshan. This show is here to help you take that message and channel it through the most effective marketing techniques to not only be successful, but have a positive impact on the world. Tune in live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel, and get Amplified. 
Game-changing technologies and strategies are transformational, exciting, and disruptive for a reason. They shake up your status quo. They get you thinking about new ways to scale, compete, and grow. They move you in amazing new directions. You're invited to take your coffee break with Game Changers on Thursdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time for our special series on Think Big, Work Small with Game Changers presented by SAP on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1 866 472 5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag iLeadTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now, back to iLead, the leadership connection. Welcome back. I'm Linda Sharkey, your host, and thanks for being with us today. And I have Eric Schoenberg on uh, the show we're going to have a very wide-ranging conversation about what's coming down the pike for business, what are things we need to think about, the trends from technology. And we were just talking about um, leadership characteristics. And, uh, you know, it's so interesting, Eric. I, I do a lot of research in the area of leadership and, and culture. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that uh, I, I've discovered around the world that uh, when you ask people what kind of culture they want in their organization, similar to this study, the, the Gallup study, it is always the values that people want from work and what they expect to get from work are pretty universal worldwide, no matter what country you're in. So mm-hmm. company culture and values really seems to trump culture, country culture every time. And it's, it's very interesting, but the majority of organizations do not operate in, and this is based on massive research for over 25 years, do not operate from a cultural constructive style where they really focus on, you know, helping people achieve their goals, cross collaboration, all of those other kind of things. And, and the Gallup research kind of says that we're looking for leaders who have more of those kind of traits that build those kind of cultures, but it's not there yet. So how do we, in your views, start transforming that? Because I think it's going to get louder and louder the demand for leaders to be more like that. Uh, I agree with you, Linda, and I think that uh, this is the kind of thing uh, in which the the market will determine the culture. So, cultures that uh, business cultures that are more adaptive, that are more horizontal, that um, in which leaders treat their employees as. Um, uh, the source of ideas and the source of creativity and um, that they and treat them in a less hierarchical way are the companies are going to be able to adapt the most to technological change. So there will be a true competitive advantage to companies that treat their most important assets as real assets. They get the most out of them. Right. Uh, so I, in, a, in a way, um, what will, you know, with markets, um, unless they're allowed to get, um, you know, a little corrupted by, um, you know, by gamesmanship, tend to be slow to react, 
tend to overreact, but then in the end they deliver what is going to be the most effective thing. And I think in the market, in the in the market for leaders, um, leaders who are the most constructive in this way will eventually come out on top. Yeah, and I think they're going to have to because let's face the fact that we're never going to be, go back to a, a non-globally connected world and economy. It's, it's, it's never going to go back and people can tout that all they want, but we are not, <laughs> this is a, a global economy. And people's expectations, if you want to be a leader today, you have to know how to lead uh, in this highly interconnected world and it's going to demand more flexibility, whether you like it or not or whether you want it or not. So I'm, I'm wondering what you see, you know, uh, before we, we uh, jumped into the show, I was telling you sort of, you know, there's three constants that have existed in the world. And one is that we've always had demographic shifts, that we've always had global shifts, and that we've always had technological changes. And whenever there's been a big one, it's, it's always been pretty dramatic. It's changed uh, the way people work. It's changed the kind of livelihoods that people had. It had, uh, had winners and losers very often, and people had to get reskilled and do things. Those, those things are constant. Uh, it's just that the technological change now is so dramatic, and it's so fast, and it's so far-reaching what do you see as the technological advances that are really, uh, frankly, at the, they, they, you know, that everyone is like talking that this is really going to change the way the white collar worker uh, is impacted, the way the blue collar worker was in the in the 20th century. What's what's your perspective on that, Eric? We have a uh, we have our noses rubbed in the kind of substitution of. Uh, machine intelligence for human intelligence all the time here in the media business. Mm. You think about any business that's driven by advertising. Um, used to be a relationship business, um, and it used to be kind of uh, um, gut-driven. Is your advertising message being carried in the platform that enhances the message and feel you want to have around your your product? Uh, there was a lot of room for subjective judgment there. Well, now, um, beginning, you know, 10 years ago, those decisions are now much more driven by data. And increasingly, they are driven by machines that operate in the blink of an eye. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you contrast a page in a magazine that's bought by uh, that's sold by a human salesman and bought by a human media rep um, under the control of a human uh, marketer at the client um, and now compare that to the decision to put a banner ad or an IMU on a page on a website, which is done entirely by, in many cases, you know, in, a, in, the, in the classic case now, uh, by an auction. Um, yeah. And in... And that there is no real sale that takes place until the um, the reader opens the page, and then in the blink of an eye, bids are submitted, um, a decision is made, and the ad is served um, based on you know if it, if if the ad driver is sophisticated enough, based on who the reader is, rather than necessarily who the brand or what the brand stands for. This is. This is, in my business, an incredible, incredible existential change in the approach of how business is done. Um, 
So there were white-collar decision-makers who were paid on the value of their gut um, yep. and their ability to decide you know, which was the right platform to carry the right ad. That's now done by algorithms. Um, this is you know, obviously a really fertile ground for all kinds of speculation, and I was reading a story on Inc.com just today about artificial intelligence and how that will change management. And uh, oh, no the question. story was written, the essay was written by um, uh, Reid Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn, right. uh, the executive chairman. And he saw three ways in which artificial intelligence could revolutionize the way that management is done. And there are three very specific ways. Now, think about what artificial intelligence does. It is masterful at marshalling more data than the human eye can grasp in a faster right. amount of time and then recognizing patterns that would be lost on a, on a mere human. So when you do right. that in a management scenario, one thing you can do is measure, basically take the temperature of the team in, and put that in a management dashboard. There are dashboards now for companies that measure highly numeric things like how fast are we selling units and what outlets are producing the most sales and how, you know how many um, parts are in the supply chain pipeline and things like that. But what Hoffman envisions is a kind of pattern matching to where people are putting their attention. So if you right. see that your team is paying a lot of attention to one particular market or is most excited about one particular product um, or is not focusing on what the company goals should be, you think, um, that's a kind of insight uh, that a manager really could only get in a very, very imperfect way now by walking around and asking people what they thought and right. hoping to get an honest reply, which doesn't always happen between employees and managers. Well, so that, was, that was one thing. Another thing would be to use data to create a data-driven uh, performance management regime. So at the moment, most companies don't think performance reviews are worth the trouble uh, because they're so subjective. They're so easy to dismiss. Right. Um, there's so much trouble to do, and nobody really f believes that they accomplish the goal. But if they're driven by data, it becomes hard to deny, and, and the value of them becomes a lot easier to measure. Yeah, and I think, I think there's a fairness factor then be, that, be, that, that comes in. In fact, uh, one of my guests coming up is going to be Josh Burston, and, and he did some major research, and only 20% of the people that were engaged in performance management systems that are out there today saw any value whatsoever in them. So it's, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a dump of time and effort. But what I hear you saying is that, that this is taking away, and I agree with this, a lot of the gut uh, and putting fact behind um, assumptions and what people believed were really the case. But now that we have the data and the facts to really see what is the case. Yes. And I think, Linda, that your immediate reaction to that, uh, that it increases the, the fairness, the sense of fairness. Um, and the uh, and eliminates the reality or the perception that things are colored by people's background or their um, or their experiences or you know their 
you know, their human chemistry with their with the their human team. chemistry. Yep, and that's um, a big that'll one. That'll be eliminated, and that and that will remove a, a huge suck on productivity and uh, and job satisfaction. I I think. Yeah, I think so too, because that is one of the factors actually as you look at really constructive cultures is that people believe the culture is fair and that they uh, are respected in it. And most situations people will say, you know, uh, somebody's got a favorite. And actually, as we study the brain, we know that people do gravitate to mini-me's. And Mm -hmm. uh, that's Mm -hmm. because the brain likes people that are like them, uh, which is, of course, why all this effort to get diverse workplaces has uh, kind of fallen on deaf ears in many ways. We're at break. We are going to be talking more about the impact of technology with Eric Schoenberg, editor-in-chief of Inc. Magazine. And we're also going to be exploring a little bit, Eric, I'd love to talk about what your view is on the, the, the latest on brain research and how you think that's going to change also the way we do things and the facts behind how we interact as people. So stay with us. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. If you are a small business owner or entrepreneur, you may not be aware of the different options available to you in securing business capital in today's market. We discuss and explore these options each week on Small Business Capital America with host Michael Schumacher. There are two primary ways of building business capital. Profits, which are basically higher revenue and reduced expenses, and external or debt capital. Listen live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business. Does your organization lack proper leadership? We're not necessarily talking about experience, but about how to face the changing dynamic of leadership today. Sometimes the people we lead know more. Old ways don't work anymore, and the comfort zone just becomes too easy. Listen for Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. We'll show you how you can adapt and develop your leadership skills to today's workplace every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag iLeadTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now, back to iLead, the Leadership Connection. 
Welcome back. We're having a fascinating conversation with Eric Schoenberg, editor-in-chief of Inc. Magazine. And if you don't subscribe to it now, you definitely should. It, uh, In my view, it gives you the latest trends of everything that's going on in the business world in a insightful and uh, concise way. We were just talking about an article that um, it was recently in your online version from Reid Hoffman, the chairman of uh, LinkedIn, who's probably... So I, I don't know. I wonder if he is happy about being part of, you know, selling the company to Microsoft. That's sort of interesting. But and we were talking about the three um, points that he made about how technology is going to change everything. So what was we didn't get to the third point. So what was the third point that he highlighted? The third big change he saw was that artificial intelligence, once it's worked into the management chain, would increase talent mobility. Now, you, to understand why that seems like a big deal to, to Reid Hoffman, you, you need to know that he sees the, the new contract alliance, he calls it, between it, right. employees and employers as um, one in which you engage people for a certain tour of duty, as tour he calls it, rather yeah. than a lifetime of employment, and you yeah. don't demand lifetime loyalty, and you... Um, and you and you don't expect it, and in return, you you know you expect loyalty for the time the person's there. You expect them to learn something new, increase their value, and move on. And that that's that's okay. the new compact. Right. Um, but for that to happen, people need to be changing jobs all the time. And what happens when someone joins a new organization is that there's a great drop off in their productivity as they learn the culture, they start to acquire the institutional knowledge that allows them to be, you know, an effective team member and learns the history of the projects they're working on so that they can be, you know, fit into the flow of ideas and execution. But with AI, that would go a lot faster. You could, you could track the origin of ideas from the beginning. You, as a leader, you could, uh, I mean, as a new employee, you could figure out um, how to get answers quickly um, by tracking sort of the network of knowledge within the organization that would all be available through artificial intelligence. So that's, that was the other key change. There would be, you know, much more rapid flow uh, of talent between organizations. It would all flow to the place where it would have the highest value to both the organization and the, and the employee, but there wouldn't be this you know, drop off this acclimation period, AI would take care of that. Very interesting. Yeah, I, I, I like his notion of the tour of duties. I, I, I think it's a very effective way of of looking at the new contract with uh, employees. What what do you think? You know, there's a lot being written about neuroscience and a lot, some will say this is the last new frontier, which is the brain. And what we're learning about the brain and why perhaps people, when they have certain contexts and how they've been brought up in certain ways that send certain messages, um, have an impact on how they interact with one another in the workplace? What, what are you hearing and seeing relative to the latest research on the brain? When I was still at Money Magazine, I remember a writer proposed a story about the new science of behavioral economics. Uh, it was uh, a story based on the research of a then unknown 
psychologist named Daniel Kahneman. And at that time, the editors of Money thought this was the most ridiculous thing, and they made fun of the writer who, was in, uh, who proposed the story. And um, now the work of Daniel Kahneman uh, is not only a best-selling business book, but it's just so filtered into the normal conversation of, of leaders that it is almost reflexive. Um, you hear all the time about first-order thinking or first-level thinking and second-level mm-hmm. thinking, thinking fast and thinking slow, and um, that is kind of an enormous change. And you can now say to someone, you know, you're, you're just giving us the first order of thinking right now. Um, you know, you should actually reflect on this and think about it harder. Right. So, and that kind of self-awareness about your own human propensity to take mental shortcuts and therefore to make judgments based on insufficient evidence or to make erroneous judgments just because you're cutting corners the way that your brain operates is, um, is, is a way to, I think, help people uh, avoid the kind of pitfalls that they have that have tripped them up in the past. Very interesting. I, I also think, you know, this is a, <coughs> excuse me, an area that is particularly fascinating to me because we used to talk about, you know, diversity in the workplace and I, I don't know, I, you know, the glass ceiling, as we were talking about at break, has been around by the Wall Street Journal, I think, in the mid-70s. You know, mm-hmm. 1970s, there was that book by Randy White and Pat Morrison. You know, there's all sorts of discussion about that. You know, we finally have a, not finally, we have a female presidential candidate. Um, but you still see that in all these years that we've been daycare and putting on all these processes, we still see with men and women that there is a huge bias towards family life um doing things that take care of the family, which women have been more tagged with than men. And we even see women self-selecting themselves out from the very top jobs because many will say that they have, we have been conditioned through our whole historical evolution to not believe uh, from a, a brain perspective that that's where we should be. Now, I think there's a lot to be said about this notion of, of, of bias that's really driving um, the inability of certain classes and groups of people to get ahead. What's, what's your take on that, Eric? Uh, I agree with you, Linda, and I, I think that, um, I, of course, it's impossible for us to know, and, the, um, uh, and you know, speculation on this is ultimately... Um, may be subject to the kinds of biases that that uh, we experience in our daily life, but I I think it's kind of incontrovertible that a lack of role models makes it very difficult for you to envision yourself in a role where you've never seen someone like you uh, right. uh, before, and you you know the psychological phenomenon called um, what is it called. Um, negative stereotyping or stereotype yep. um, help me on that stereotype I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> stereotype bias let's say stereotype, oh okay um, so that's, that's good yes 
Okay, it, that's not exactly the right word, um, but it is. It's basically what it means is if you are programmed to think, or you know, live in a culture in which it's accepted that members of your group perform worse at a particular exercise than the population at large, then if you're given that task and reminded of this societal prejudice, you will do worse right. than the average group that hasn't been reminded of this supposed disability that people in your group have. And there have been right. many experiments uh, that repeat this across all kinds of groups. Yes. Women are supposed to be worse at math. You can, you can do this negative stereotype and affect their performance. White men are supposed to be worse at athletics, and so you you prime them with this negative stereotype and they do worse than a control group, on and on. Um, right. It really doesn't matter as long as you're a member of a group that has some kind of negative stereotype. The, the positive thing for the future is so that... So that can be changed, by the way. Right. The, well, it can the, be changed. In fact, yes. there is a phenomenon that is the exact yes. opposite. If you're, right. you're, if you're the beneficiary of a stereotype that is widely accepted then if you're primed with that positive stereotype, you'll do better than average. So, uh, you know, Asian Americans and math will do better if they're reminded that they're Asian Americans and Asian Americans are good at math. Better than they would if that priming never took place. What that implies, to my, to my mind, yeah. is that success will, in the end, breed success for female leaders and, and women entrepreneurs, that the more it becomes clear that women do just as well as men or better, that those stereotypes will start to drop away. You'll have the, the, the brain's pattern matching will match you, you know, as a, say, a, as a woman uh, mm-hmm. in an organization, will match you with a successful woman and those totally unconscious things that hold you back and that and that make other people around you in the organization treat you differently than they treat men will fall away and yes. then it really will be a question of of merit without reference to gender that you know that holy um, nirvana might be a, several generations off but but, but it is the achievable. phenomenon is, is reversible, and it yes. works both ways, and all it is is a matter of sort of changing the, the patterns that people are measuring themselves against. Exactly. And, and also the context, which is the same thing as what you're saying, the context of, of what they experience, these 11,000 messages that are hitting the brain every second that keeps the brain and the person sort of like on a gyroscope and on, on an even keel. Many of those are, are unconscious, as you say, that get in the way of, of people being able to break through that and do something different. There's a great exercise where somebody who's been told that they can't catch and uh, it's a brain-based exercise, and you keep throwing them an orange, and you tell them to concentrate uh, on a navel orange, on the navel part of the orange, and all of a sudden, they're not thinking that they can't catch. They're catching the orange because they're concentrating on the on the navel. You know, so you're just changing uh, uh-huh. the, con- con- the, the context of the brain, which is really fascinating. Eric, we have a couple of uh, questions that have come in from the audience, so we are at break right now. When we come back, I'd like to... Um, have you answer them and then we will be uh, wrapping up the show so stay with us we're talking to eric schoenberg schoenberg um great conversation about the world of work
business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag ILEADTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now, back to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. Welcome back. I'm Linda Sharkey. I'm your host, and we're talking to Eric Schoenberg, the editor-in-chief of Inc. Magazine. And we were having a great conversation about stereotype threat and stereotype boost, which neither one of us could think about the real name of that phenomenon. <laughs> but... but um, you know, it is interesting. I think you're absolutely right, Eric. As as we start thinking about stereotype boost, people can believe that they can do things differently, and the brain can be rewired. I mean, that's been proven, correct? Yes, yes, that's that's quite true. Um, both phenomena are real. It's a question of getting in the context in which stereotype boost can work in favor of disadvantaged groups. Women, we were talking about in particular, but it also yep. applies to various ethnic groups. Yes, it certainly does. And, you know, the world has always been diverse. It's, so it's, 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 it's not a matter that we don't have diversity in the world, which, which leads me to a question that, that uh, came in from the field uh, from one of our listeners. And what do you see as the next wave of globalization? And in particular, they're referencing the, this sort of trend that seems to be surfacing around, um, you know, being less boundaryless, being more confined, being more isolationist, uh, yet we've been on a path of globalization and global companies um, are driving that even more. So what what is your view of that and where that's going to land? Well, I think that the wave of uh, withdrawing from globalization that's seen in Brexit, obviously, seen in kind of the the rise of fundamentalist religions around the world and in uh, the Donald Trump campaign or, the, or mm-hmm. the Bernie Sanders campaign are a reaction to this absolute breakneck pace of change. Uh, it's hard for people to put up with, and lots of people would really love to get off the merry-go-round, but they can't. And the 
reason is that uh, globalization is just so much more efficient than uh, than what went before the the power to um, move goods and brain power and services to the place where they'll have the most uh, effectiveness is was sort of it, um, you know is it has been around that idea has been around since the 1800s, 17, 1700s, I guess, with um, um, the end of mercantilism. And, but technology makes all of that so much easier. So comparative advantage, uh, an, an old concept, is manifesting itself around us all the time. There can be setbacks. Um, lots of people refer to the beginning of... Um, of um, uh, Keynes's uh, book um, on wealth and poverty, I think mm-hmm. it was called, in the in the that was written uh, right at the um, beginning of the depression and the end yeah. of the Roaring Twenties, and talked about the kind of peaceful, globalized trade that had increased the prosperity of of uh, the European industrial countries tremendously, and then that yeah. was reversed by the horrors of World War One and the rise of other competing economic theories like communism and fascism. So, and it took, well, it took two wars and, and four decades for that to reverse itself. Yeah. Um, uh, hopefully that's not in store for us, but, the, but globalization is, I would say, like technology, an irreversible trend. It is the it is the force of nature because it makes people better off and it is, in that sense, sort of the way human history is driving. But that doesn't mean it will progress in a straight line. No, it won't. And it also doesn't mean that it's not going to be painful. And I, th- I think you made a very, um, many <laughs> very insightful points, but it's the reaction to the pace of change. And people often, when they are confronted with all of these things that just put them out of their comfort zone, they want to go back to what they had before because it's safe. Mm-hmm. And yep. it's not going to be safe. And change and transformation, I, I actually don't like to word, use the word change, but transformation and progress always is uncomfortable. And that's never, ever going to be, that's uh, never going to go away to make progress. I, I don't know about you, but, you know, I've been going to India since... You probably have been too since the mid, you know, the early 1990s and and many places in the world. And as I see global companies coming in, I see the standard of living of people increasing and getting better. And, uh, you know, if you had that balance around the world, it would be, in my view, a much better place. But that's how I think, see things and not everybody. Well, I agree agrees. that in a, in a global, you, you know, utility sense. Um, the the fall of the um, Iron Curtain and um, the growth of free enterprise around the world has been one of the most positive things that that will the probably the most positive thing that will happen in our lifetime, Linda. Yeah. And yeah. it dragged so many people out of extreme poverty. It yeah. is a great, great global benefit if you have the perspective to step back and look at it. But if you are in West Virginia, or or the Fret deep mode. south, or in the yeah. industrial Midwest, that 
you know, that the benefits were not distributed equally. And no. um, you cannot, it would be very hard uh, in those circumstances to see globalization um, with a kind of intellectual remove that um, it's your privilege and mine to, to see it. Yeah, it is really true, but it begs a question, and this is the other question that came in, and we don't have a lot of time, so we've got to be quick on this, but, uh, you know, in every society and in every time in history, there have been certain skills that have gone away and other skills that need to be acquired as we make progress and innovation, and what do you think we need to do as a society is to take these outdated situations and start building because it's going to require a lot of skills for people to manage develop software algorithms uh artificial intelligence equipment not equipment but artificial intelligence and all of these other kinds of things and i don't see anybody and this person is saying we don't see anybody talking about this on a, on a big scale um i i there have been some people, and uh, yes. I, I'm and I'm re- I'm thinking in particular of a a McKinsey study that I saw that that was yes. addressing the lamenting uh, among employers about the lack of training of the people they find entering the workforce and applying for their entry level jobs, and the schools have failed them was the lament, um, and this is a familiar one. What McKinsey responded was by saying that in the time that this lament became kind of common uh, wisdom was that at the same time, companies cut way back on their training programs. Yeah, And what they used to see as their responsibility to take people on as apprentices and and train them in in the skills required for their industry, they saw now as being the school's responsibility and since... People left schools without knowing how to be a, um, you know, a coder at Google or a, a machinist at um, at uh, Chrysler. Uh, the schools had failed, and yet maybe what it is is uh, employee employers are not willing to make the investment that they have to do in training. Yeah, I totally agree. We are out of time. It's a fascinating subject. I'd like to talk more about it. I'd love to hear these kinds of discussions on the political trail, to be honest with you, not some of the things that we're listening to. Eric, thank you so much for being on the show. I I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I know our listeners did, and uh, I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to to join me. Uh, Linda, the pleasure was all mine. Great. Stay with us. Next week, we have Kathy Salet, who's going to be talking about performance breakthrough, a radical approach to success at work. And then the following week, we have Josh Burson going to be talking about talent and people trends in the workplace. So stay with us for some more shows coming up. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of I Lead, The Leadership Connection. Please join Dr. Linda Sharkey again for another show next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a successful week.